Louise McSharry on 2FM. Now, it wouldn't be a Saturday if we didn't get a news catch-up from our delightful Ellen Coyne, news correspondent with Independent News and Media. Hello to you, my friend. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm not too bad. It's good to see you again. We're Very good to see you. We're separated for two weeks because we were both off having lives, which I is know. rare. I think that's the first time it's happened since I started doing this slot. Yeah, I am. Um, I was just saying to Ellen that we were discussing that when you have a baby or when you have kids, the night out, like you can manage <laughs> the night out, but you rarely get the hangover day. Yeah, I did every, I ticked all the boxes. Like I binged Real Housewives. I ordered McDonald's to bed, but like it just wasn't, it was a, a bit uncanny. It just wasn't quite the same. And I think when you're missing a baby, the fear is like 10 times worse. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I, so I'm never going to have. A, I'll never relax I'll never, again. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Always good. Um, anyway, we've got lots to talk about in the world of news. So let's get into it. Um, we will start, of course, with COVID. We will. So COVID-19 is kind of falling off the front pages a little bit. It is important to remember that people are still being infected and the virus is still with us. But we're kind of getting to the point now where people are, you know, pre- preparing to go back to life. And some of the news organisations are kind of looking back at the last two years. So there's an interesting story during the week where the journey put in a freedom of information request to find out how much the HSC had spent on tests tests themselves and testing centres over the last couple of years. Obviously, nobody is quibbling with the amount that the HSC spent, but it's it's. It's a significant amount of money. The HSC spent 480 million euro on free COVID-19 tests and the testing centres since the start of the pandemic. That is a significant amount of money in any language, but obviously it's a big deal when our health service was already under-resourced. They obviously couldn't budget and plan for COVID-19, so it'll be interesting to see what happens afterwards. So to break it down, since March 2020, there have been 7 million tests. Uh, I think that was recorded up until uh, the middle of August this year so that figure will probably be higher now um, it, there was 217 million spent on PCR tests so far this year compared to 246 million in 2020 and there was also uh, 19 million spent on testing centres last year and 28 million spent on testing centres up until the middle of August this year um, obviously money well spent but it will be interesting to see what effect that has on our other health budgets maybe next year in the year after when we come out of this it's also interesting that the HSC spent a little bit of money on kind of trying to use vaccinations as a public information campaign. Mm. So there was like 8,000, almost 9,000 actually spent on these kind of backdrops in the mass vaccination centres like the Aviva or the Helix, kind of encouraging people to take selfies of themselves getting vaccinated, basically turning Instagram into like a public information campaign. Mm. And they also spent 320,000 on the little blue, I got my COVID-19 vaccine badges. There was 2 million of them. I did not get one. I didn't I'm really get one. sad about it. And Caroline didn't get one either. I'm, I'm going to be like... None of us. I'm going to be hunting around yeah. for one of those. I think they were, again, kind of stuck to the mass vaccination centres. So if, like me, you got vaccinated through a GP or a lot of young people who probably got vaccinated through their pharmacist, you missed out. But they're going to be... I think they're going to be quite a hot relic yeah. in years to come. I think so too. I think so too. Um, It's funny because when you talk about those amounts of money, like obviously it's huge money and we know that there's a... a a finance issue within the HSE but it's kind of hard to it's hard to I find it hard to feel anything about it because yeah absolutely it, it just feels like well A we had no choice and B like it, it the numbers are so wild I, it doesn't feel real it doesn't feel like real money I'm <laughs> yeah, just no. like well you know yeah and I, obviously like testing is 
prevention is better like testing was the most important thing that we could do and we were fortunate that we were able to kick in with free tests so quickly in March 2020 I wonder what's going to happen though like presumably we won't always have those testing centres I mean so will it will it be a case of we stop testing that people just yeah like it's an interest because we're already at the point where over the last couple of weeks there's been articles coming out about how you know those kind of free walk-in testing centres yeah. some of them suffered with such high demand that they actually had to be closed because obviously it wasn't good public health to have people queuing for a long sure. time if they thought they had COVID so from this point on it's kind of a system where you have to book yourself in but I wonder yeah like you said you know the way they're unravelling Neffet but we'll still have like those advisors kind of on standby mm. will this become a thing where we won't have mass testing but we will still have like testing in some capacity like will you always be able to go into your pharmacist and buy like a PCR test for COVID-19 is it just going to be part of the world now yeah but then we don't have that for say the flu yeah so I yeah it's mad it's mad to think that there could be a time when maybe test like panicking and testing for COVID it's won't be a thing. Lives. Uh, yeah I mean, it's it's a it's a nice thing to hope for. Um, now, uh, what is going on with this situation about COVID t- patients discharging themselves? prematurely. Yeah, so this came up um, the Sale to Hospital group, which kind of represents hospitals in like Limerick, Galway, Mayo, Sligo, Roscommon. Um, it put out a statement this week saying it had grave concerns about at least two incidents of COVID patients either discharging themselves or attempting to discharge themselves effectively against medical advice. And the reason this came up was there was a video shared online of a patient at um, the University Hospital in Limerick being encouraged by an anti-vaxxer to leave the hospital. Uh, So the anti-vaxxer was the person taking the video and in the background you can hear medical staff telling the patient, you know, it's your decision, but you're struggling to breathe at the moment. Um, The reason that these videos are taken is because the people taking them want to encourage copycat incidents. And it is a concern because we know at the moment some of the people who are sickest with COVID-19, people in hospital and people in ICU, are obviously people who are unvaccinated because they're not protected. And I think at this point in time, when over 90% of people over 18 are vaccinated, it's probably fair and reasonable to assume in the majority of cases, if someone isn't vaccinated, it's because they don't want to be. So obviously the staff uh, in these hospitals are concerned, first of all, about the effect that this would have on patients. Second of all, about the effect that it could have on staff to be put into extremely confrontational situations on camera, which opens them up to abuse from other people if this becomes a trend. Um, And following on from the video in Limerick, there was a similar one that came up at a hospital in Mayo where Gardaí actually had to be called to a hospital where someone's family members were raising concerns about the treatment that they were getting for COVID-19. So despite the fact that we have this phenomenal vaccination record, that the country is moving forward and opening up, we still have a major concern with a cohort of people who are against vaccinations, who, despite the fact that they are infected with COVID-19, still don't believe that they are and still don't trust the health services to make them better. Wow, it's kind of hard to get your head around. Like whatever about deciding and making a personal choice or just, or or even believing that the vaccine is problematic or that it's going to cause you problems or whatever. But like actually telling someone to leave hospital when they're sick is like next level. Yeah, and for healthcare workers who've been through so much since March 2020, it must be incredibly frustrating to see beds being taken up by someone who not only doesn't want to be there, is also giving you dogs abuse when you're trying to ventilate them. And the thing is then, there was a story this week about a mother and daughter in Northern Ireland who died two beds away from each other. Yeah, Both of them had decided not to get the vaccine. And I was reading comments from the, the woman's 
husband and the girl's father saying, I don't know why they didn't get vaccinated and yeah. he has to live with that now. Yeah. It's it's really troubling. Although I, I also think, you know, I had this conversation with someone on Twitter during the week. We are talking about a minority of people and we all need to remember that. And we Absolutely. have, as a country, done brilliantly well. And we can't get too bogged down in that, I don't think. it's Obviously, it's important to recognise it and it's valid to be concerned about it. But the vast, vast, vast majority, more than 90% of the people in this country made the decision to protect themselves and to protect each other. And we can't forget that. Now, it was a kind of a wild week for Michael D. Higgins. Yeah, yeah, yes, it was. So what happened was Michael D. Higgins, the president, was invited to a mass in Armagh next month to commemorate the centenary of, how would I describe it, the formation of Northern Ireland. He decided not to go, which was seen as a big deal because the Queen is going to go and people were asking him, you know, are you trying to snub the Queen? But the president said that the reason he decided not to go is because he thought that a religious event was basically becoming politicised um, and since he said he wasn't going to go a lot of historians have come out and said that he was absolutely correct that it would have been seen as the president effectively celebrating the partition and even the violent partition of the island that he is a president of because he's the president of Ireland not just the president of the Republic of Ireland it's important to bear in mind that President Higgins previously refused to go to an event marking the centenary of the 1916 Rising um, a dinner in Belfast because he perceived that it didn't have buy, like cross community buy-in so he thought it was going to be divided about the other side so I think it's important to point out that he has kind of used the same logic at either sides yeah. of this argument however when this news came out a lot of people got very angry the DUP you know fairly annoyed um, to say the least over the last couple of days and also yesterday on radio the former Taoiseach John Bruton was pretty scathing about Michael D's decision to not go and effectively telling him to change his mind. Um, and they got into this kind of like tit for tat between the two of them that reminded me of like the rap battle from Hamilton where they're slagging each other off but they're also like talking about the constitution. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like Bruton was saying, you know, uh, this wasn't like the invitation to the opening of a credit union in Kerry, effectively saying like this wasn't some like throwaway ribbon cutting yeah. event. And Michael D came back and was like, well, I can't think of anything more important to communities than the credit union. Uh, no more so in Kerry than anywhere else. So it's actually <laughs> gone beyond a dispute about like how we commemorate our violent and divisive past. And it's just too... Uh, kind of eminent men who are public figures having to go each other in at each other in the newspapers, and I, for one, I'm kind of here for it because we haven't had these kind of we've had a, almost two years now of not having enough kind of decent political scandals. Yeah. So I'm all for this one. And his points were, you know, understandable. You know, he said that the language used was a problem. So yes. it said, you know, the invitation he received said it would mark the centenaries of the partition of Ireland and he had an issue with the partition of Ireland. Yes. You know, he didn't want to commemorate that and then he said, I was also referred to as the President of the Republic of Ireland. I am the President of Ireland. Which I think a lot of people were like, oh, I know. boom. <laughs> I also enjoyed the fact that he said the DUP criticism, I just enjoyed the terminology was a bit much. Yeah, and he was also doing this when he was like in Rome the and languages. later went on to like visit the Pope yeah. and the Pope was like, the Pope's statement afterwards was like, he's just such a wise man. <laughs> like he actually had a great week in terms of like shade. Yeah, love it. Um, okay, let's move on because this week there was a lot of chat about the nightlife revamp plan in Ireland. This is very exciting. Nightlife is coming back. I think Mother is having its summer block party later on today. Yeah. People are going to be legally allowed to dance, um, and the government is now considering it's like Footloose. It's going to be like we have the town from Footloose at the end. It's going to be class. Um, 
So before COVID, the government had kind of been talking about how Ireland's nightlife, uh, we tend to have some of the like strictest licensing laws in Europe. Our pubs and nightclubs close a lot earlier than other places. And there was a lot of chit chat about what are we going to do about this? Then COVID-19 happened. Obviously, it was pushed to the back burner. We had no nightlife at all. So the point yeah. was moot. But now that things are coming back, the government is kind of opening up a discussion and talking about what they might do. And the things that they flagged, they've said that, you know, there is a possibility that we might have longer opening hours for pubs and nightclubs. So they wouldn't all close at once. There's a cultural argument made for this, but there's also an economic argument and a tourism argument because it would obviously mean that people were spending a lot more money in cities Mm. like Dublin. They're talking about extending uh, the sale of alcohol to new venues, looking at older buildings and turning them into venues. It's not just like a weekend booze thing. They're also talking about having different kinds of nightlife Monday to Thursday. It's not just a Dublin-centric thing. They're talking about, you know, six cities and towns across the country, which would kind of examine how they can make nightlife a part of the town's culture. They'd previously talked about doing this with people called nightmares, not like Freddy Krueger nightmares. Obviously, there was some confusion, so they've wisely renamed them Nighttime Economy Advisors. Um, so those people are kind of going to be like little ambassadors for each town and city selected. And they're going to argue for having more cultural spaces for performances and venues, mm. nightclubs that go on a little bit longer. And I think that this is desperately needed because even before COVID, a lot of venues for uh, performances in Dublin and further afield were being closed down. A lot of them have suffered economically for obvious reasons since March 2020. So they might be kind of struggling as well. And I think that it's important to point out that nightlife isn't just about like people get really getting really, really drunk no. in coppers. This is about kind of extending culture beyond 6 p.m. Um, every single day of the week. So yeah. I think it could be really, really cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know a lot of work has been done by various campaigns. Give us the night and Sunil Sharp uh, kind of at the forefront of that. So well done to the people who have really kind of made it their work to try and improve things on this front. And just quickly before I let you go, um, this is awful. The world's largest tree has been wrapped in a fire-resistant blanket uh, due to fires in California. Yes. So all summer there have been wildfires in California as usual. There's been 10,000 square kilometres that has been burnt down. And uh, earlier this week, news broke that Sequoia National Park uh, had a small but intense wildfire that was spreading. So the park was evacuated. The town nearby was evacuated. But um, the giant forest within the park is home to the largest tree on Earth. His name is General Sherman. He's 84 metres high to put that into context he's like 70% of a spire that was wow. the only way I could f- kind of put it yeah, into normal good. people terms okay, uh. um, but because the fires are raging as a protective measure they have wrapped him in like an aluminium blanket uh, it's not completely fireproof but it can withstand intense heat for short periods of time it was previously used for houses around Lake Tahoe which I know both of us are familiar with because of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills Obviously, they went a few trips yeah. there um, and it had worked for them before so they've wrapped him a few of the other trees and some of the parks and buildings uh, the park signage sorry and buildings in this park to try to protect it because obviously it's a hugely important uh, area of the world a hugely important area of natural beauty and they're just kind of hoping that this will be enough to kind of protect uh, some of the largest trees on earth oh god it's awful I know I keep ending on a downer every week no that's not your fault we'll try and have an update on the tree status next look, week look the nightlife is great okay we'll fo- great. we'll just finish nightlife good nightlife good um, Ellen thank you so much it's Ellen Coyne from the Irish Independent we really appreciate you giving us those updates Louise McSharry on 2FM